Hello, and welcome to the second of our unheard head-to-head debates. Today we are discussing the impact of social media on our lives, a key concern among parents in particular, as use of smartphones is deemed to be socially disruptive and responsible for rising levels of teenage anxiety. So, to discuss this, one of the key issues of our techno age, we have with us today two unheard contributors, Nigel Cameron, our tech editor, and Tom Chivers, science correspondent and AI author. So, chaps, is social media the plague of our age? Nigel, would you like to kick us off? Delighted, yes. Um, It's something we all use, particularly mobile. I mean, social media and mobile are becoming almost the same thing now, and it is something which is out of control. I mean, it disrupts business meetings, it disrupts dates, it disrupts children's lives, it disrupts family meals, it disrupts individuals. There's evidence that it might be causing depression, possibly even suicide among teenage girls. Controversial report arguing that. Um, and uh, we've got a problem. It's wonderful. It's useful. We all use it. We've got to get it under much better control. So it's a problem. We all use it. It needs to be controlled. It's having a debilitating effect on the new i-generation, as Jean Twenge would call it. What do you say, Tom? I say, of course it's not a plague. Um, I'm not saying it's harmless. I'm not saying there's nothing to worry about at all. I'm saying that the public panic about it far outstrips the evidence that any mental health impacts of it are complex, they're unclear, they're probably small, and in some ways they might be positive. I'm saying that lots of the information people get um, comes from overhyped studies showing small correlations, and the evidence of a link between screen time and mental health or sleep or behavior is weak and if there is one it's small um, and that yet still there are countless books by Jean Twenge and Susan Greenfield and Philip Zimbardo about all the impacts and there are loads of newspaper articles every week um, and we're dedicating a huge chunk of our public conversation to worrying about something that probably isn't doing that much damage and that we should be using that time to talk about obesity or air pollution or smoking or over-reliance on cars or sedentary lifestyles and all these things that we actually know are doing damage. I would be very surprised if we actually were using remotely the proportion of our public time to discuss these things, uh, as you have suggested. I mean, for example, I do not know any movement out there to discard smartphones. Now, this very interesting new product that I blogged about the other day, a company has invented a non-smartphone, and this is recommended for use with teenagers. It just actually is a phone. This is a, this is a new product. But there's no, there's no great movement out there. People complain about these things. I think there's been insufficient serious reflection on their social significance and on their intrusive character. I mean, you walk down the street, people are watch, carrying these phones in the airport. They bump into you, bump into you on the tube, and they're out of control. People do not, grown-ups do not understand how to handle these things. How are kids meant to understand how to handle these things? They're interfering with all of our social norms in a way that undercuts the value they have. So, uh, Tom, yeah. smartphones are too smart. We need to get rid of them. We need to go backwards. What do you think? Okay, I mean, I don't want to... Like, my, um, Douglas Adams had a, sta- had a saying, didn't he? He said that uh, every, oh, sorry. every, every um, technology that exists before you're born is just natural and part of the world order of things. If everything that's invented between your 15 and 35 is uh, exciting and new and you can probably make a career in it, and everything that's invented after you're 35 is against nature and should be, de- should be destroyed. And I sort of, this is, you know, I don't want to say this is just exactly the same thing, but there's certainly an element of the same. Uh, natural response. A lot of the things you're saying about it's interrupting mealtimes and so on could be said about um, teenage girls on the phone in the 60s. It's, you know, it's the same 
sort of thing is going on. And all we can do to check whether or not this is a real problem is look at scientific evidence. And at the moment, at least, the scientific evidence is fantastically weak. You mentioned, I think, the depression um, uh, study by Jean Twenge, and it got a lot of attention. And yet, it just, it, the even by her own stats, it only accounts for 0.01% of the uh, variance in depressive symptoms among teenage girls. And that is that is nothing. And that is not even what, that is that's a correlation, not even a, a cause a causative effect. I think we can talk about we can we can talk about a, a, a thousand other factors in public life that are very visibly having greater effect on um, people's mental health. And yet, this is getting vast hours of of airtime we there's no there's no you say there's no mo- movement to ban it but i can't haven't gone a week without reading an article about how uh, screen time is killing our kids for some years now i'm not suggesting that the main problem is that this may be causing girls to commit suicide though if it is gene twenger's work should be taken extremely seriously and as it was it was a cover story in atlantic monthly which is yeah. a major U- u.s publication taken very seriously it was and it should but have been. for example look at the work of sherry turkle from mit who has written, uh, I think, four major books based upon a lifetime of research uh, in which she examines the very complex ways. For example, one of her conclusions is, if there is a smartphone on the table Hmm. and it's turned off, everyone around the table knows it's turned off, it still affects the conversation they have. There's a haunting quality to these things. And you see people on tube, see people in airports, see people in business meetings, on dates, They're disrupting our social mores in ways that suggest we need to grow up and find much better ways to incorporate them into our lives. This is this is empty. This is. I mean, you're saying that you're saying you don't like them. I mean, that's fine. They're interrupting the social mores. Uh, Like like everything interrupts social mores. Social like I, I I'm probably instinctively quite conservative in some ways and I agree that social mores and sort of the GK Chesterton thing of not wanting to just turn everything over and burn it to the ground is it, it's good and important but you're saying things are changing therefore it's bad and we haven't you haven't said you haven't you know you've pointed out that there is you know, you've you've linked you've suggested the, the, the gene twenge depression thing I I put it to you that there is that is gigantically overblown that that article in the in the Atlantic I've spoken to dozens, no, that's a gigantic overstatement, I've spoken to many um, psychologists who work in this exactly this area, and they all say that the data on which it is based is extremely thin. There's a series of longitudinal studies which cannot tease out the correlation from causation. The really well done studies on this top- topic find a small, like find a, uh, what is called a Goldilocks effect. They say this, uh, that on, this is on social media and screen time. Teenagers who spend a small couple of hours a day using screen uh, in front of screens show a positive uh, effect on their mental well-being, and then it tails off. And beyond about three to four hours a day, it starts becoming negative effect. But it's still, even at very extreme levels, a less negative effect than say missing breakfast or uh, getting less than eight hours sleep a night. These are, you know, I I, I agree that we should be wary about social norms changing, but I don't see, from anything you've said so far, that there is a, a different in, difference in kind from the rise of the telephone in the 60s or the, the ubiquity of the television. You know, this the new technologies come along. They're not 
uniformly good. They have some negative impacts, but they're they're not. Nor are they a plague. They're just a sort of thing, you know. Well, I think I think that the impact of this particular technology mm. is a, of a different order of magnitude altogether from that of telephones originally and televisions, and that given Moore's law and the increased complexity of these devices, the demands they're making upon us, the offers that they're they're, they're giving to us, and all you need to do is look at half a dozen typical social situations in one day, and you see how disruptive they are. You look at a business meeting and try to get people's attention around a business table. Um, you look at a couple on a date in a bar and how they pull out their phones when the other one isn't looking. Um, you, you, you look at teenage girls walking down the street talking to their phones rather than each other. Uh, this is not a normal thing. It is a plague of misuse. Now, I do dislike that, despite the fact that I'm older than <clears throat> everybody else in this room <laughs> and that I would qualify, you know, for your Douglas Adams criterion, mm. um, I use these devices all the time. I spend much of my time on Twitter. I find enormous value in social media, but you have to have it under control. And it seems to me it is plainly, completely out of control. When a businessman will bump into you on the tube because he's looking at his phone rather than where he's going. And that happens every day to all of us. And it seems to me that suggesting that this is somehow anti-technology, it's anti-invention, it's anti-these novel products, that is misplaced. This is a matter of our growing up and realizing that we have vulnerabilities. We're vulnerable to these, these sights and sounds. We're vulnerable to instant communication. And we've got to grow up as a society in relation to these devices, or they're going to do real damage. I I don't, I mean, I, for one thing, it's never happened to me that someone's bumped into me while looking at the phone. I've bumped into other people while using my phone quite regularly, so I guess I'm the problem. But these are, you know, you're saying that we see people talking on, uh, you know, you see couples looking on their phones when they're having dinner. So that, that's up to them. They can do that if they like. It's, the question is whether it's harming them. And if they, if they don't think it's harming them, my wife tells me off I look at my phone too much especially when I'm around my kids. I'm a, I, I try not to do that. That's, that's something I should, I should do less of, and, I am, and I'm aware of it, and so I try Th not this to. This is a confessional. Do carry on. <laughs> I, 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 I do think that is, a, that is you know, I should, be, I should be talking to my kids more than I'm faffing around on the phone, and that's, that's fine. I'm, if, my, if it wasn't my phone, it might be a book. You know, like I'm, I'm easily distracted. That's me, but I don't think saying this is out of control simply because you see people doing things you don't like is not. Uh, you know, we're, we're, you're not showing evidence of harm there. You're showing evidence of a world you don't like. But also, Tom, isn't part of the problem the fact not that we're using it all the time, but it's what we're using it for and the sorts of um, information that we're sharing and what it's being, what children are putting on their sharing on their telephone. I mean, I don't know. Have you got any evidence to? Uh, sorry, I'm not debating this. No, no, no. That's true. Okay, but like, I, again, all all I can do. I mean. I was looking around, and I emailed a couple of um, psychologists I know, there's a, a, a lady called Amy Auburn at Oxford Internet Inst uh, Institute this morning, just asking about things like social media addiction and so on, and um, body image and all this sort of stuff. And I mean, I, it, it's hard to tease out because there's just no good evidence. And my, my thing is, I, I'm a science writer, I, I don't, I instinctively go to the, to the, to the studies, I don't actually... Sorry, it's going to sound rude. But I don't care a great deal whether you think that things are out of control because you see people on the on their phones. I I, I worry about what the stats and what the um, data shows, and at the moment it doesn't show very much. It's like the I, I was looking around for social media addiction stuff. The closest I could find was video game addiction, which everyone is very worried about. Okay, but there was a big study last year which showed that of the five thousand people who met the criteria, the five looked at five thousand people, and not one single person met the, the criteria for uh, um, video game addiction at the beginning of six months and at the end. Imagine you did a study like that with smoking, and found that not one person who smoked at the beginning smoked at the end. It's not that's not what we think of as addiction. You know, this is, I mean, I, I can't 
I can't guarantee that it's identical for um, social media. I suspect a very similar story is being told. I, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I just worry that we are, we are looking, at, looking at very small effects and overhyping them enormously because we don't like people bumping into us on the tube. I, I don't I, think there's two things. I think, I think in our families, in our churches and synagogues and mosques, in our parliaments, we should be having very serious conversations about the way in which these devices, which at the moment are really very simple in relation to how they're going to be in 15 and 20 years' time, mm. have disrupted norms that we, which we find value. See, I mean, you were saying that, that, that I just disapprove of people doing these things. It isn't as simple as that. Most of these people would, would be highly embarrassed to see themselves doing these things. Most of them would apologize to the, the partner at the date or the business colleagues if they realized the intrusive impact of their device use was having. Um, I think it isn't as simple as disapproving. People can behave in all sorts of strange ways if they choose to. If they behave in strange ways that they themselves would wish they didn't, I think we're coming to something pretty fundamental in our anthropology and that human beings need to get these devices under control or this plague is going to continue doing damage and do even more damage. Continue doing damage. Continue. You haven't yet well, okay. I, you haven't, as far as I'm concerned, explained a way in which they are doing damage. You've said that they that they uh, are used in ways that are intrusive. You don't you don't you don't like the way, or do you feel you feel that the the, the people who were using them would not approve of themselves if they saw themselves using their phone during a meal and not talking to their partner? But I mean, you're putting words in their mouths there. I don't. We don't know if that's true. Again, like the only thing that matters, surely, is whether or not we can show with good evidence that these things are having an impact. And I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying that there's very, very little evidence either way. The evidence that there is is extremely complex. I don't, I don't, don't feel like you've... Well, we, we, we could get into a debate, of course, about the qualitative versus quantitative research and the limits of, qua of quantitative research in the social sciences and the way in which so many social science projects, as you, and you've written about this, exploded a year later because basically they, they weren't well done. A qualitative research is what we're talking about. I do it all the time. I see these things all the time. I talk to these people all the time. And I see the way in which this little device, for all its wonderful benefits, mm. is causing huge social disruption. And uh, the more grown-up conversations we can have like this one, in which we can agree and disagree but talk about the subject, I think the better off for all of us. Well, I think we've sort of reached an impasse here, haven't we? The science writer thinks that this isn't a plague. And the tech writer thinks that it possibly is a plague. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to all of our other podcast products and do log on to Unheard to read more from both of these contributors today.